It's the really useful podcast, the tech podcast for technophobes. My name is Christian Colley, and with me this week is my make use of colleague Ben Stegner. Hey, Ben. Hello, Christian. Good to see and, you again. And always good to see you, Ben. Always good to speak to you. And um, we've got a packed show again this week. We're going to squeeze as much as we can into half an hour, and then, as usual, go over the half an hour mark. <laughs> Uh, so to give you a quick rundown on what you can expect in this week's really useful podcast, we'll be looking at BritBox. It's already out in the US. It's now come to the UK. Uh, we're going to take a look at how YouTube have made their homepage easier to use, debatable, and um, Netflix's new option to skip a particular type of content that you might not want to know about. And we'll also talk about the Stadia app and the Stadia console that's coming next week from Google. We've got some recommendations for you, which you'll find out about a little bit later. And we've got some tips we'll be looking at. This is awesome. Free Morse code software. <laughs> um, why your hard drive is one terabyte, but says it's 930 whatever gigabytes. How to clean a computer screen and how to set up your, a wireless home network using a mobile phone. Surprisingly simple. Uh, before we proceed, there is the matter of an ongoing saga of my Samsung tablet. Uh, now, this has been going on for so long, and you probably realize, if you're a regular listener, that um, every really useful podcast features me and one other person, and we work in a, a kind of cycle. I'm pretty sure Ben was here last... Um, it was mid-October... Yeah, mid-October, yeah. and we talked about my tablet then, didn't we? Yeah, I think I think at that point you said that you were you would talk to Samsung and you were going to get a screen replacement. Like they were going to come to your house and do a replacement right. then, and then there was some kind yep. of screw up with that. Yeah, that's right. So that was after the first visit where they came out and brought the screen, and uh, it turned out the screen wasn't the problem. It's actually the main board. So they're going to order a main board. But what actually happened is that uh, Samsung sent another screen. And um, so I had a visit last week. And the long and the short of it was that they sent the main board, um, but they sent the 4G main board. Instead of just the Wi-Fi that version? Mine's the Wi-Fi uh, version. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So I am awaiting a new appointment. Um, and, you know, it's, it, at this stage, you are genuinely wondering why you didn't just get an iPad. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 I, the thing, like, you would think by this point, because you've been in contact with them, they have the serial number or, what, like, all the unique identifiers so they know exactly you have this model it's the Wi-Fi version and it has this much space, like all that stuff. You would think they'd be ready to replace it with the exact same logic board. Yeah. And then apparently, yeah, yeah. They, yeah they've fumbled multiple, I, I think, multiple times. I think what you've stumbled upon there, Ben, is a, a world consisting of logic, which clearly is not a world in which Samsung support and their various contractors exist within. So just, uh, just send them something. It, it, it'll something. There's a chance it'll work. Sounds yeah. like the right thing. Let's remain positive. Um, I'm sure I'll have a working tablet uh, this side of the apocalypse. Um, we will move on to BritBox, the streaming service, uh, which is kind of um, very British and consists mainly of programs from the BBC, ITV 
and I think Channel 4 in the UK. Um, it's been out in the US for a while now. I was a little bit naughty. When it launched in the USA last year, um, it frustratingly um, launched with episodes of a show called Midsummer Murders that had not been shown in the UK. So with the help of a VPN, I signed up to BritBox.com in the US and was able to watch those episodes of Midsummer Murders. And, you know, two of them still haven't been aired in the UK, which is absolutely balmy because, you know, it's a British show. It was aired in Australia before these episodes, before they were aired in the UK. Um, so that service is now available in the UK. It's a, it's a bit strange. I mean, anyone American listening to this might think, well, why, aren't, why hasn't this already been out in the UK? I was wondering that, too, because you think, I mean, it makes the most sense if the show is released there. It would be. Yeah they would be there for UK viewers to watch because they'd be more familiar with it and it wouldn't have, they wouldn't have to worry about licensing and everything to another country. Yeah, no, totally. You're absolutely right. Now, a lot of the programming is the same. Um, there's a lot of the same shows on there. Uh, something that is particularly exciting for some people. Um, and this is a topic we're going to be coming to in a future release of podcast. I expect thanks to something I've just written. Um, all of the classic doctor who, from 63 to 1989 is on BritBox, along with shows like Downton Abbey, Broadchurch, uh, various Miss Marples, um, the Ricky Gervais series Extras, uh, Poirot, and many other shows. I'm not sure if Monty Python's on there or not. Um, I can't quite remember at the moment. Now, the interesting thing about this, um, and I think this is a universal thing, there's no app for BritBox which is really weird. There's no app for it. And w when I used um, BritBox.com, I used it on my phone um, through um, Chromecast. Okay, okay. It. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's no, uh, there's no app for it. I, th I think they're probably thinking about fixing this because obviously it's a bit bonkers. You can't watch it on a mobile unless you're watching it through browser, you know, plus and minuses for that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's good to see it out in the UK. Have you used BritBox? I haven't, no. I, I think we talked about before. I'm not a huge tv fans so i'll sure. hear people met, mention shows whether some some british shows some some u.s shows and that kind of have them on my list but i i don't watch a whole lot of shows and so no, i haven't used it that is mm. strange that there's no app though because i think a, a big use case you know watch on your tv like if you have a smart tv i guess you could go to the website and do it that way but using the t the browser on a smart tv can be a miserable experience yeah. a lot of the time yeah. so yeah yeah, no, great. But also, there's this whole thing. Like, we were talking uh, last week, um, myself and James Fruit, about um, Disney Plus, and that that's coming along. We've got Netflix, we've got Amazon Prime, we've got Hulu, we've got um, we've got a new. Is it is it C is it CBS doing one or NBC? Uh, they've CBS has had all access for a yeah. while. Yeah, they've had it. Yeah, at least here. Yeah, so everything's breaking down into channels, basically. Um, so having having an app is like absolutely vital. If even if it wasn't vital before, you know, it, it is even more vital now. So BritBox, um, get your fingers out and get an app out Can't there. Be that hard. Definitely not. Um, BritBox, if you're not already aware of it in the USA, is eight dollars a month. Here in the UK, it will be five dollars ninety nine. And oh, I think All Creatures Great and Small, another classic UK show, which is actually being remade at the moment, is also on BritBox. Uh, let's move on to YouTube. 
has made its homepage easier to use for desktop users and tablet users. Now, this is probably why I haven't noticed because I use YouTube mainly on a TV. Um, yeah. Yeah, you- I'm, I'm the same way. So I, um, well, so I, on, when I'm on my desktop, I have my, my bookmarks saved to like my subscriptions page. So I only yeah. see new videos from people I subscribe to and I use it on the TV a lot too. Um, yeah, when, yeah, when we were, I was looking at this article before we started, I didn't notice this. And then I opened up YouTube in an incognito window and that's when I noticed there's actually a difference. Um, right. it, basically the thumbnails are bigger and you can hover over them to play a little sample. Um, the channel icons are bigger and the text is, there's more room for the title. I don't really, I mean, I guess it's okay. It seems to me like it takes up more space, but I don't really browse the homepage of YouTube. When I'm signed in, I do find stuff that I, that I end up liking on the homepage, but the yeah. main homepage of YouTube, like trending, is like a whole other world to me. Like it's just so much weird stuff that I'm not interested in. So it's, it seems like it's just a response to bigger screens, more yeah. pre yeah, yeah. content. What do you see? Just out of interest. When you go to um your YouTube home screen, what what what's the typical combination of, of videos? On my um, when I'm signed in or just yeah generic? when you're signed in when, you're when signed I'm signed in, in um mostly gaming stuff some political mm-hmm. stuff um and then some just like I like like stupid like YouTube poop and just like stupid remix videos and stuff like that. So a little bit of just like goofy meme type videos, but mostly gaming stuff. Okay. Because sometimes, even when you're watching a video, sometimes you'll see a suggestion where. So usually, what I'll do is I'll, I'll add it to my watch later, which my watch later on YouTube is hundreds of videos long. It never seems to drop down. <laughs> and then I'll check it out, and if I like it, I'll watch more videos from that channel, and then I decide to yeah. subscribe there. So, but yeah, so I do that sometimes, but usually I have enough to watch from subscriptions and recommendations. I don't have to go too deep into the homepage. Fair enough. Mine, mine's a strange combination of uh, 80s television, um, history programs, and guitar reviews. That's a, that's a well-rounded balance. Isn't it just? Yeah. 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 Um, okay. Let's let's move on from that. So that's YouTube giving you a new user interface to make things a little bit easier to use. Um, I don't know if you know this, but there's this thing in the world called politics, which over the past sort of 10 years is developed from kind of a, a dour, staid, dull load of people in suits talking into a kind of arm of the entertainment industry. Yep. And it's become a big pain in the backside for a lot of people. And um, people have noticed, and I think Netflix have noticed, that people are possibly not watching as much of a particular type of show or they're maybe skipping it or watching bits of it, skipping through it or just canceling it altogether. So to um, save a bit of time, they've added a button which allows viewers to skip politics. Um, it's currently only available in one comedy special and is intended as a joke. But to be honest with you, it does seem like a good idea long term. Yeah, I, I thought this was interesting because I saw the headline and I think, oh, it's going to be this big thing. And then it's kind of a joke in a comedy special. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm not a big fan of late night hosts in the U.S. I think they're kind of same same thing. There's so much politics that 
if you don't feel the same way that they do, it's just kind of like you're being berated for an hour or half hour or whatever. So I've never watched, I have seen Seth Meyers actually on a beat Bobby Flay, a food network show where Bobby Flay competes against chefs from around the country. Um, He was on that as a guest and he was actually kind of funny divorced from a political context. I don't think I'd watch his special. Um, But yeah, I think what's interesting kind of like a bigger picture like this skip politics button and you know netflix has the skip intro button for when you're watching the show and you don't want to watch the theme song every time it is interesting to think what they could use this same tech for like could they do like a skip skip an explicit scene button you know if there's like one scene in a movie that has like a lot of swearing or something you're watching with your family it's interesting to think how they could apply that it would probably be pretty time consuming to do it all the time but it's an interesting application i think yeah, yeah, it it does have possibilities. I think it's also it, it gives us an idea of exactly as you say what could else what else could be done with that and extending the skip intro thing. I I always feel a bit wrong about skipping intros. Um, you know, skip the the, the, the titles of a, of a show are part of the show, the part of the package, a part of the experience of watching it, and so I don't like skipping intros at all. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean. I watched this through a show recently, and it, like when you're watching it, like not spread out super long. When you watch like a couple episodes every night or whatever, it's the intro is just like ah, I just skip this and get to the the new stuff. But you're right; it kind of is part of the experience, and you're cutting out a piece of it, and it's not as authentic compared to like yeah. skipping skipping commercials when you DVR yeah, yeah. something or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, possible glimpse of the future there from netflix and uh, what it might be able to deliver to us in future programming uh google stadia i'm do you know i have a feeling a lot of people aren't aware of google stadia i haven't i i'm yeah i don't know i feel like they haven't really it's like people in the in the know that maybe would watch a google event or really in the gaming but google hasn't really i haven't seen like tv commercials or anything for it maybe they'll start doing that once it's maybe, readily maybe. available yeah, so um, launching on November the 18th is Google Stadia. It's Google's um, games console project, which they've been working on for a while. And uh, you get a controller and a, well, a Google Chrome, Chromecast Ultra. Uh, you can order a secondary controller as well. I'm not sure. Are they still available? I can't remember if they're still available to order or not, the um, the founder edition. Um, I'm sure. Look. Uh, let's see, pre-order, yeah, free shipping, $129. Let me see, Founder. I don't see anything about Founder on their page. Let me see if it's on the pre-order page. No, it just says Premier Edition. Okay, yeah, so Founder's Edition's gone. Um, we're up to Premier Edition now. Um, I'm not entirely sure what the difference is going to be. Possibly different colored controllers or something like that. But it's, it's a long next week. Now, they've um, in preparation for this, they've launched an app. But you can only access the app if you've received the invite code. To access the app, um, I haven't got an invite code yet, so I can't tell you anything about it. Um, now, the thing about this is, I mean, this has the potential of revolutionising gaming, but whether or not it will uh, depends on internet speeds, and of course, whether or not people are going to pay $120 plus extra for an extra controller. Um, I feel that the Android app is probably going to be quite a key aspect of it, but. There isn't an awful lot of information about it beyond really the the the, the games library for for the, for the platform. Yeah, I I think that um, 
it's it's the kind of thing where as a i mean i I love games as we've talked about before so i'm curious to see what happens but i feel like there are some big it's almost kind of like vr where there's it's 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 here but there are some big hurdles that are going to make it take a long time to be mainstream because the idea of it is really cool where you buy this one device and you pay for a subscription for the games or whatever and then it's just you don't have to worry about updates you don't have to worry about replacing the storage in your console you don't have to worry about upgrading the components in your pc it's just you have the system you buy the games and they're there but there are a lot of problems with it i mean obviously people in rural areas where they don't have even anything close to high speed internet are never going to be able to do this um and you also i mean i think other problems with games that we already see like digital games and the fact that digital games can just be turned off you know, a game that's on the PlayStation Store or whatever one day, if the developer decides to get rid of it or if there's a conflict with the soundtrack or something, they just remove it and it's gone. Yeah. It'll be even worse with this because there's no option for a physical copy. Totally. So I think there's a lot of good with it. Um, I mean, personally, I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know. If you have a fast enough internet connection, I think if you don't already have a library of game, you know, you don't already play with your friends on Xbox all the time, or you have a favorite game on PC or whatever. I think it might be good for people maybe getting into games that aren't tied to one system already, but I don't know how many people that'll be. No, I don't either. Um, I'm, I'm getting to review it. So, uh, there'll probably be a giveaway for you. I'll make use of at some point before Christmas. Um, the, you can play on TVs with a Stadia Control and Google Chromecast Ultra. And there's also the option to play on laptops and desktops. And at launch, it supports Chrome OS tablets, including the Pixel Slate, the Acer Chromebook Tab 10, HP Chromebook X2 and Pixel 2, Pixel 3, Pixel 3a. That one passed me by. And the Pixel 4 family of phones. And uh, the moment you purchase the game, it's ready to play as long as you have Wi-Fi. That's so, cool. Yeah, because I can't tell you how many times, even like on the PS3, it was a big problem where you'd go to play a game and there'd be an update that you have to download. It would take forever with the PS4. It checks automatically, but it checks at like four o'clock in the morning or something. So when you go to play an online game, say there was an update published at like 2 p.m., you go to sit down and play a game and it has to download an update and you're waiting all that time. So that just like click, turn it on. It's ready to go, especially because it's cool. It would be cool, like, if you have friends over and, like, say there's some new multiplayer game you want to check out with them, you don't have to buy it and then wait hours for it to download if it's just there yeah. to play. Yeah. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Okay, we'll move on to our recommendations. This is a uh, relatively new feature on the Really Useful Podcast where we share something that we spotted on the internet. Um, they're invariably YouTube videos. And uh, this is a cracker. Uh, this is... Um, this gives you an insight as to what people thought was going to happen with computing in the future 30 years ago nearly uh this is a show called hyperland which broadcast on the bbc in 1990 was written and presented by douglas adams the creator of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and dirk gently and it's uh i think if i remember rightly it's co-hosted and narrated by Tom Baker, who was a star in Doctor Who from 1974 to 1981 and a bit later in the USA. And basically it explains, it's basically explaining the World Wide Web before the World Wide Web really takes off. And and hence the title, Hyperland. It's about hyperlinks and, and clicks and uh, um, active desktops and notifications. And 
1990. There's, there's no way anyone has the right to know any of this stuff in 1990. Uh, it's uh, it's a kind of a, it's a, there's a kind of a fantastic elements to the documentary because obviously it's in these days you know comp- you know the you know people were playing games consoles had little three and a half inch inch floppy disks we were at least five years away from the some of the stuff that has been presented there and yet it's now we take it all for granted. Have you ever seen this, Ben? I haven't seen this, no, but I do, I do agree that I think this kind of thing is really cool. It's like a snapshot in time of what like what people thought the future would be is always fun. Um, I, I, think it's, I think the same thing is interesting when you see, uh, from like a game perspective, when you see like a, there's a demo on a disc or there's like a preview in like a magazine or something where it was talking about an upcoming game. And it's interesting to see what they thought it would be at the time versus yeah. how it actually turned out which obviously with the whole internet is even more interesting and it's, it is crazy in that like 1990 to predict like push notifications and stuff that's super common now but at the time there was like no way to, there was no infrastructure to make that happen totally yeah it's crazy that they like thought that that could be a thing yeah there's this there's, there's something else like this there's a demo um, was it dog engelbart i think in 1967-68, did a demonstration of a mouse-driven desktop, um, which was recorded. You can also see that on on YouTube. And he's, he's using a, a like a what we would consider now to be a rudimentary mouse and navigating this desk, desktop and opening menus and things with a mouse in 1968, where you know in those days computers were you know they were reel-to-reel things with tape, and it's absolutely insane. Um, and you know that was then, and you know that entire system had basically been built for that demo. So you know, considering that was about twenty, twenty-two years before this Douglas Adams thing, and then to see how things have developed and to see how they've been predicted so accurately as well is really yeah, cool. Yeah, it's, it's not just like they were, oh yeah, oh yeah, we use mice sometimes. It's like they like they they predicted or whatever you want to call it, like the input device that yeah. they would we would use for decades that that, that is insane yeah absolutely and uh, you've got recommendation yourself i do yeah so if you've listened to uh the shows i've been on i'm sure you know i like uh i enjoy video games and i really enjoy it i love a ton of different um gaming content on youtube so the recommendation i wanted to highlight this week um i picked out a video but really it's the whole channel and animation just a week or two ago, um, because I had some videos about Metroid. But the video I picked out is from a game called Cuphead uh, that you may have heard of. It's an independent game um, made by a studio, and the game is made in the style of like 1930s cartoons. So it uses that like rubber hose animation where it's like lanky characters that kind of bend and you know like early think like Steamboat Willie, Mickey yeah, yeah. Mouse like way back. Um, so it's like that the game uses that kind of animation. Um, and the and the developers of this game actually hand drew all the animation. Um, and then they scanned it into the computer and then animated it through there. So they used sure. like authentic animation techniques. So this video takes a look at um, kind of how they did that and how it translates into the gameplay, how they made it functional but also like fashionable like the game looks really gorgeous but the game's also really good at like telegraphing like when an enemy is about to attack you so it feels fair um i really liked cuphead i think it's a really great game and the music and everything but this channel is a really good 
uh, find if you're into any kind of animation or why why one game might feel better or look better. It's definitely worth a look. So I recommend that video. And if you like it, take a look at the other videos on the channel, too. Definitely. Excellent. And that link, and along with everything else we've spoken about in this week's really useful podcast, you'll find in the show notes. Okay, well, we will crack on. Uh, now, when we get together to uh, discuss what we're going to uh, talk about in the really useful podcast, we've usually got a selection of productivity tips and tricks and you know, the, the general, you know, generally useful articles. Um, I'm not entirely certain how useful this will be to um, the average user, but the fact that it even exists, like, entertains me no end. Um, Ben's compiled a list of free Morse code software and apps to send coded messages. Yeah, if you can believe it, Morse code has been around since the 1800s with the telegraph, um, but it's still it's still used today and it's still useful. I think um, one of the coolest things or one of the best things about Morse code is that you can you can use it with so many mediums. You know, you can flash a light or tap a tap your finger or whatever. Um, You don't have to you can send a message without a lot of other like a pen or a pencil or anything like that. So. Um, I compiled a couple things where you can use if you're interested in Morse code or you'd like to learn it or um, just want to play around with it. These are some, some cool uh, resources to use. So uh, the main the main thing that these rely on on mobile is that Google's Gboard keyboard, which is on uh, Android and iPhone, um, actually has a Morse code mode. So Google developed it a little bit ago primarily to assist people who uh, need it for accessibility. Um, so if they don't have full use of their arms or whatever, they can uh, use Morse code to just enter taps and type like that. Um, if you use, use if you use a regular keyboard, you probably won't need that, but um, you can use Google's Morse typing trainer to actually learn Morse code. So it uses visual aids to help you remember what dots and dashes go with what letter. Um, so like for archery, it's dot dash. So it has, or sorry, not archery for a it's dot dash. So it associates a with archery and it has the dot dash and a picture of a bow and arrow. Um, so it's, so that's a, that's a really cool tool. If you want to try to learn Morse code, um, other, otherwise in the article, I covered one website that has a translator and a decoder. Um, so you can type words in and it will display Morse code. And then you can type that Morse code back into another page and it'll play the message. Um, and I also covered a Morse code chat site where you can uh, use Morse code to communicate with other people. So it's kind of like a radio, amateur radio kind of feel. So if you're into Morse code or think you might want to try to learn it, these are some interesting resources. I mean, it's Morse code's definitely old school, but I think it still has use in some cases. So, yeah, it's something different, but it's fun. Yeah, definitely. It's, it's, uh, it's, it is fun. It is cool to see that uh, you can just go out and start to learn Morse code. And you never know what it could come. I mean, you just knowing SOS, you know, if you're yeah. stuck somewhere that I still think one of the coolest, this isn't tech related, but one of the coolest or whatever uses of Morse code was uh, there was a, I think he was a, a he ended up being a sender. I can't remember, but there was someone from the U S who, when the Vietnam war was captured by the Vietnamese soldiers and so he was a prisoner of war and they made him go on and they filmed a, like a propaganda video about how he was being treated well and all that to, to send to the U S and in the video, he was like pretending he had something in his eye and he was blinking out torture and Morse code. 
So oh, that was wow. like that, that was the first time that they knew that the prisoners in Vietnam were being tortured. So I just I just think that that type of thing is just obviously that's a that's an extreme situation. But you never know when knowing Morse code could help you out of a jam. When you buy a hard drive, you're always looking at how big it is. Is it 512 gigabytes? Is it one terabyte? Two terabytes, etc. But those figures seem to change to a lower figure once you've got the device installed. Now, there's a very good reason for this, and Ben is about to explain why. Sure. So everybody knows, uh, as Christian said, when you buy a device that has so many gigabytes, it's you, you don't ever get that amount. Uh, it happens with a hard drive. It happens with an iPhone, whatever. Uh, there's a couple primary reasons. There's two main ones we'll cover. So the first one is kind of the simple reason is that when you buy, whether it's an iPhone or a hard drive, um, it's going to have, or a, not a hard drive, but a computer, it's going to have some data on it already. So when you buy an a 64 gigabyte iPhone and it's only 59 gigabytes or whatever, um, you have to remember that the operating system takes up some space um, on a computer. You know, Windows takes up space. There's pre-installed apps and all that stuff that's all going to yeah. use some space. But the primary reason is because computers and people measure uh, numbers differently. So uh, in, a sim- in simple terms, computers use binary numbers, which we use a, a decimal system where every value can be zero to nine. In a binary, uh, each number can only be zero or one. So we say a kilobyte is a thousand or a megabyte is a million. Um, we say it's a thousand, but in binary, it actually works out to a thousand twenty-four. So it's just because of the way binary numbers count up. You don't, you can't evenly divide to a thousand in binary. So a computer is going to see a megabyte as 1,024 kilobytes. We see it as 1,000. So on a small scale, that disparity is not a huge deal. But when you get up to like a terabyte drive, uh, it's going to say it's a terabyte, whereas the computer is going to think it's 931 gigabytes. Now, actually, Windows is the biggest culprit of this because um, there's actually a separate term that the computing industries come up with in ter- instead of gigabyte, um, it's a gigabyte. So they all have it for all of them. So instead of a megabyte, it's a megabyte. Um, giga means a power of 1000. Uh, mega means a power of uh, 100. So they use the gigabyte to mean 1024. So yeah. sometimes you'll see this um, to where they correct themselves. But anytime you buy a device, it'll say actual formatted capacity less, and it defines what a gigabyte is. Um, so Windows, for some reason, still uses gigabyte in the incorrect sense um, when it should be gigabyte. So that's why Windows does that. But, um, but Mac OS doesn't do that. So if you have a 250 gigabyte drive on a Mac, it'll say 250 gigabytes because that's correct. Um, it's not formatting it the wrong way. So you're not crazy. Uh, there's a reason for it. Um, it's kind of something that you can't really get around. It's just the way that computers measure data versus people. Um, but it's just, it's a good reminder that whenever you buy a drive, you should get as much space as you can because there won't be as much as it says on the box. Yeah, absolutely. I think we can probably agree now, and we won't be alone in this, that gigabyte and megabyte are possibly two of the most ridiculous words ever coined. Yeah, and no one, because, you know, gigabyte is capital GB, and gigabyte is capital G, lowercase i, uppercase B, but you don't see that very often. Yeah. So, and, and if people saw that, they would think it was a typo or something, because most people are familiar with, you know, a 128 gigabyte phone or whatever, but they're not going to know what a gigabyte is. So. Well, I've, I mean, I mean, you know, someone new to this might think that a gigabyte, 
but bite is measured in BGs. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, let's move on <laughs> to some uh, <clears throat> easier households and uh, basically maintenance tips for uh, your equipment. Cleaning a computer screen safely and easily is remarkably simple, and and yet so pe- so many people do it wrong. Uh, so let's go through this. You don't use a baby wipe, okay? Because they just plaster your screen with 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 weird, slightly soapy water, and then it doesn't drain away nicely. And then you have to wipe it down, and then you just waste a lot of time. Um, the best thing to do is use a specifically designed cleaning solution and a microfiber cloth. If you don't have a suitable cleaning solution, then you can use white vinegar and distilled 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 water um, that, that, and then you need um your cloth it has to be something that's soft so um, an old cotton t-shirt if you can't get microfiber cloth very simple you spray the cloth you don't spray the screen there are various reasons for this um if it dries quickly it can stain the screen so you've got to then clean it again and you sh- you also need to be concerned about um the liquid running along down the screen into the bezel um, the same goes for TVs as well. Um, so you you spray the cloth and then you wipe the screen. And how you do this, there's so many different options for this. You can do it in straight lines. Some people say that's better. Some people say small circles is better. I agree with the small circle method of doing this. And you basically keep going until it's clean uh, from top left corner to bottom right corner. You may need several sprays, uh, but by the end of it, you should have a relatively clean screen. And it will surprise you how clean your screen actually is when it's clean yeah i think every screen especially on a laptop i feel like just over time just gets so nasty fingerprints yeah. from a touch screen just dust from it's it almost drives me crazy sometimes when I, like and you don't notice it sometimes unless there's it's in direct sunlight because when yeah. it's dark it's not bad when it's light it's like oh my goodness that looks totally. horrible <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely now if you um th- th- these same tips will work on a tablet um and a uh, and a phone and a TV laptop as noted uh, and a standard computer LCD display. If you for some reason you're a bit of a retro guy or girl and love your CRTs, uh, you don't need to worry too much about doing it that way. You can just use glass cleaner. But again, spray the um, the cloth rather than the display and use an anti-static cloth as well. So, uh, so that's that. Um, keeping screens clean is turning one of those. You know, no one, no one foresaw the the challenge of keeping screens clean, did they? In 1990, when the Douglas Adams was predicting the World Wide Web, there was no, no, no one thought, oh, we'll have to keep all this clean. Here we are. And most people don't. So, well, yeah, I, I try yeah, to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think, um, and okay. you can get if you don't have this stuff. I mean, you can get a, a hundred pack of those cloths on Amazon for next to nothing. So, yeah. a small investment will help keep your gadgets uh, nice and yeah, pristine. Yeah, in a pinch, you can use glass um, uh, lens cleaning as well. Um, if if you're absolutely desperate, um, they work particularly well on a on a on a phone. But don't use anything. Don't use anything abrasive um as as a as a as a cloth just use something soft and lint free preferable nice cotton though okay we we talk about this quite a bit make use of tethering and there's different options for tethering and that, you know, the process of using your mobile connection 
for your desktop computer or use it as a wireless hotspot or whatever. So I don't want to go into too much detail about this um, beyond the fact that actually, you, you know, you can use your phone at home as your main internet connection should you need to. Now, it's rare that you will need to. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to go through the exact steps of doing this because they're in the show uh, they're in the article link to in the show notes. But mainly I'm going to talk about why you might want to do this. Because if you've already got internet at home, you probably aren't going to be using your smartphone as a mobile hotspot. Unless certain conditions are met, such as you have a capped internet connection at home and you've hit the cap. Or you've just moved house. Or your internet connection's gone down, both of which are reasons for not having internet. So... And there might be also, you know, you might be lucky enough to have 5G internet through your phone and chugging along with like a a, a slow DSL through the house connection. So, again, another good reason to use um, your mobile phone as a wireless hotspot. But it shouldn't be a long term because, you know, um, mobile internet contracts, they're almost always capped going over the caps going to cost you extra money and you know if your 4g or 5g is faster than your domestic internet then in several cities uh, in north america and in the uk um 4g is serviced and 5g is serviced with um home routers that are designed to do this job for you anyway uh so they would seem to be better options do you use um your phone is a mobile hotspot often very rarely um i've had google fi or project fi before that for several years and you pay per gigabyte of data for that so i i'm not uh, i've never used it at home but even on the go i mean if i bring my laptop somewhere it's somewhere i know i have wi-fi so i i mean i like having the option to do it but i just don't i don't do it unless i have to to save money yeah sometimes i'll do it like to test something just to set up a quick little network and just see yeah, what's yeah, going yeah. on but i think like i think a lot of people because they're used to having a limited data plan on their phone they're thinking about i don't want to use too much data but when you connect to your lap your laptop to it it's easy to not think about how much data you're using and then oh whoops i used 10 gigabytes you know and that gets yeah, expensive yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely useless if you you're an online gamer and you've got your Xbox connected to your network. You know you can't you can't. You, you, I mean it's going to last a day at the best, isn't it? I've, so. I've had people I've known. I knew someone in like high school that did that. And sometimes like in certain games that are peer to peer, you'll swear people are doing that because their connection is so bad that they're yeah, on yeah. their phone. But I guess people do what they got to do, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's my it, yeah. It is. Um, it is risky. And for, for for streaming as well, if you... I mean, streaming in HD is not going to last too long. Uh, again, it's a, it's a last gasp option. I use a bit of tethering when I'm out. For, for some reason, um, there is a cafe chain that I go to, and I cannot connect to their Wi-Fi in Windows 10. Uh, so I have to use my... I have to use my phone. My phone will connect to their Wi-Fi. There's nothing wrong with their wi-fi for my phone off off my tablet but if i use windows 10 i just cannot connect to it at all it's a really weird thing don't know what it is probably a windsock thing uh so yeah that's the only time i really use tethering and also in the car for the kids okay tablets. okay um that's a conversation for another really useful podcast however <laughs> uh which um happily brings us to the end of this week's show a big thanks to ben 
Stegner. Um, I'm Christian Corley, if you hadn't gathered already from that. Everything we've discussed in this week's show, you will find in the show notes. And you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Transistor, YouTube, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you find podcasts, you will find us. Um, If you can leave us a review on uh, YouTube, that would be great. Uh, It helps uh, other listeners, potential listeners, find us. And do share us wherever you can, however you can, if there's anything in the show that you feel someone you know who isn't au fait with tech would benefit from hearing. A bit of help, a bit of assistance. We're here to uh, give it to you and to them. Uh, Until next week, it's goodbye from the Really Useful Podcast. (laughs) 